Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks, wherever the heck in the world you are. It's V, the Gorilla Economist, coming to you live on this edition of The Great Game with Matthew Aaron. Matt's brought on a good buddy of his, a great individual himself. He's the one and only Tim Kirby. He is an independent journalist, a TV and radio host. He is also known as the American living in Russia. He's a fellow <laughs> right from uh, Ohio in Cleveland, and uh, Tim's going to be joining us today. They're going to be breaking down all things geostrategic, geoeconomic, and all the nonsense that's out there in the mainstream media that distorts the views that we Americans have in terms of what's really going on in the world. So, Matthew and Tim, welcome, guys. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good, getting over being sick. But other than that, I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, 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 The promo music uh, was a uh, Van Halen remix. Uh, yeah. Roth era. So I'm pumped, guys. All right. David Good. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's our uh, that's our testosterone injection tune right there. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, Tim, uh, you know, where do you guys want to begin? I mean, Tim, why don't you tell us, because you're the new guy here on Rogue. All right. I'd love for you to give a little background on who you are and how you wound up in Russia, of all places, and, uh, you know, and, and your website and all the other things that you do, man. Go ahead. Well, uh, first about what I'm doing, um, it's kind of an eclectic mix. Uh, maybe that uh, suits my personality. So... On the one hand, I do a uh, pretty big uh, tourism uh, video project. It is called Russia Tips, Tricks, and Travel. That is for a uh, little group called Russia Beyond, which is, a, which is a division of Russia Today, also known as RT. So that's something very official, but uh, apolitical. That is purely going around Russia, showing what's there. That's that's what's on the screen. Uh, I'd be nice. thrilling if some of you would happen to subscribe to it if you like it. Uh, besides travel, we also have, there's a little series about how I built or restored a house in Russia. Uh, and, uh, I, to be honest, I actually kind of like doing that one a little bit more, <laughs> even though the quality is a lot lower, uh, cause I film that usually without anyone else, just sort of by myself. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of life in Russia, traveling around Russia from, uh, the experience of someone who's been here forever. Uh, I've been here since 2006. So, uh. Yeah, that's kind of the way it looks like. We also have a lot of videos about food because uh, I like food travel videos, so uh, we do them. Why uh, not? Now, uh, for the uh, the other side of things is the sort of the exact opposite. I do a lot of serious polit uh, political material and have for a long time. 
lot of writing about geopolitics, uh, media influence, um, ideology. Ideology is probably actually my favorite topic of all. And uh, I do that for the Strategic Culture Foundation. Uh, and there's also here, this one, right, right? So you don't have to change your tab. Oh, here, okay, Strategic Culture, we have it. Or here, okay. Uh, this Tim Kirby Rushes is a new YouTube project I have. The Strategic Culture Foundation, if you take a look, I've been writing for them for quite some time. Uh, we also do a podcast for them, which you can see if you click on the podcast tab with my buddy Joaquin Flores. Uh, it is called the Strategy Session, and it's uh, kind of focused on uh, some of the articles that they have on their site, but uh, not entirely. So some people might really enjoy that. So we have some tourism and stuff, the uh, sort of uh, lighter side of life. We have this uh, geopolitics ideology predicting the future, the serious stuff. And I wore my uniform because I also play pro-American football here. I got to live yeah. the dream in Russia because they really, really needed some reserve players. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually uh, uh, I play for the team that's won the last two. Uh, Russia has two seasons. There's the spring and a fall season. So it's hard to say that there's, there's sort of two Super Bowls a year, but we've won the last two. But obviously, <laughs> I'm old. As you can see, there's a lot of gray hair here. Uh, I'm beat up. So I'm not like a starter. You know, I'm not out there at 40 years old just cracking guys. I'm not trying to say that I'm a superhero, but I am living the dream because it is the big league. You know, it is – it's the big, big, toughest guys, uh, and I can sort of hack it at least for now. But I'm a reserve player, uh, and we have a uh, – sort of full team and then a development team and i'm on the development team although there's nothing to develop at my age so <laughs> uh, so anyways so i'm sort of number four tight end i don't play that much but it's fun so tim we're go. about the same age i'm 42 and i tell you most guys our age right now we're relegated to the uh the 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 keyboard lift and the mouse press in terms of exercise yeah. <laughs> well that's another thing man i've had some uh, uh i don't know i really want to get into it a couple personal issues come up and I sort of needed to do something physical. When this yeah. whole COVID thing started, uh, I really began to spend a lot of time uh, at the, the house I bought. So I did this one project, and I was able to sort of organize my money where I had a million rubles, which is like $15,000. And uh, anyone who lives in Russia knows that uh, leaving money in the bank is ineffective. It's a bad strategy. It'll just burn through it. So I kind of had a little bit over a million and closer to a million and a half at, at one point. And I was like, okay gotta do something with this there's no way to buy an apartment in the city and i was like well the real dream is to not live in the city so i bought a really really beat up uh, old uh dacha house uh near a little city called chekhov which is sort of like the equivalent um if any of you know where poughkeepsie is around new york of course uh, i used to live right near there really yeah i'm from uh, orange county right across the river no kidding. Okay, so yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, I sort of bought a place in uh, Russia's Poughkeepsie near the big city, and uh, I don't regret it. And But as I was saying, uh, over time, I started to you know fix this up myself, mostly. Then I kind of found some guys to help me. But I started spending more and more time outdoors, and all of a sudden, I was like, man, this feels right. Mm. This feels good. Yeah. You know, and so uh, after that, I kind of wanted to take it to the next level. And an American acquaintance of mine asked me to go to an open tryout for American football. And I thought that maybe, you know, I didn't think I was like, well, this is probably not going to go good. I'll tell you what, I don't know why they picked me because after that tryout, uh, we, we did the warm up exercises, right? You know, and after the warm up, I was already floored. <laughs> I was floored from stretching. <laughs> However, excuse me. However, uh, somehow they put me in the 20 guys that they wanted to sort of boil down. And I eventually made the cut. But again, to not 
uh, overplay and, and create some sort of mythic legend, a lot of the guys just sort of gave up. It was more a war of attrition rather than talent. So, uh, <laughs> and I feel, dude, I feel a lot better about life, right. about myself, about everything. Uh, we have four men here. Uh, for any of you men watching, uh, try spending time outdoors. Uh, I think it's very important for our male psyche. Uh, yes. It's it's a blessing. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. It, it, the, 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 there's something powerful about reconnecting with nature. There's something very primordial and primal about that that brings out the best in 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 men and it's it, yeah. it's a known thing the more time men spend outside i mean you want to raise your testosterone level spend out spend some time outside you know get, yeah, get, get close and to nature feel you know, the earth the, the woman's realm is sort of this more internal world not just the internal world of if someone would be you know uh, go in the kitchen no but the internal world of the home the family uh, very much the feminine spirit is sort of this looking inward and the male spirit is sort of not being at home, going out, you know, go out into the wilderness, go get something, go do something, go build yeah. something. So I think it's uh, reconnecting with this masculine outward uh, sort of philosophy, which I sort of all, always knew that. But until COVID sort of forced it for me to have nothing to do but besides, you know, drill two by fours to hang up a, a framework for insulation, all of a sudden you're like, man, this is this is awesome, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what's up, buddy? How are you? What do you got to contribute to this? <laughs> <laughs> what well, you, you know, I, I want to begin. I, yeah. There's a lot to talk about. There, so I guess, Matt, you want to leave us? Well, you know, I, I to, a, to a degree, sure. Why not? I, I You know, I just really wanted to uh, introduce everybody here. I, I had a feeling, you know, you, V, CJ, Tim, myself, we all sort of come from the uh, the pre-internet uh, childhood generation where we grew up with That's Teenage right. Mutant Ninja Turtles, He-Man, yes. and we would still play outside um, we weren't necessarily raised by the internet or uh, or Netflix, so I thought that we might have some uh, some similar at least experiences in some ways. And because Tim has has walked both sides of the world, east and west, has actually immersed himself in uh, in the Russian culture and has some astute geopolitical insights as well as cultural insights. I thought he would make a just a really good uh, introduction to the the Rogue News uh, you know discussion uh, process. Um, as far as me, I, I was very influenced by, um, you know, Tim had recently written a piece on strategic culture. I think it was called The Real Reason the Right Continues to Lose Every Ideological Battle, which, which struck that. me. I didn't think they would. <laughs> really? You know, that's pretty funny, well, Tim, because this was, morning, that's like exactly what CJ and I were talking about. It's like, we, oh. you know, it's, it, it, you know, the right is all about losing graciously. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because uh, I was just surprised because I've had an extremely wide editorial freedom there. And I thought that this one might go over the line. So that's hmm. great. They actually published that. And uh, although it's a little rough, this is a rough read, guys. When you're writing about politics and um, when you're someone like me, who I'm sure all of you consume a lot of YouTube and I uh, watch a lot of different things. In fact, I watch a lot of stuff I don't agree with uh, because I find it uh, more interesting um, uh, even sometimes sermons from religions I don't believe in, but, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that, um, with this, I, I, I keep seeing the people who are, again, I, I don't even want to say the right, it's this broad consensus of people sort of from the West who like the West. Generally that's the right, but not necessarily. So I try to express that in the article, yeah. but take, for example, the whole red pill thing, that's really popular on YouTube. Uh, YouTube has been a little bit more friendly to the red pill than it has been to people on the political right. But uh, 
just they just cannot see that really one of the key uh, barriers or the key causes of all the problems that we're having in the West is when we consider the individual to be sacred, we all sort of become narcissistic and hedonistic and we don't care about anyone else. And exactly. that's really where it comes from. Right. Uh, it's this constant where they're finger pointing. That's bad. That's bad. Don't do it. Don't do it without giving reasons. And that's really what the article sort of gets into. Yeah, and, and what I really appreciated is is just this lack of, as you pointed out, the lack of polemic, the the lack of appreciation of the sophistication of the nature of the 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 crisis at hand right now, where the the world, I mean, for those people, and I, I think those who tend to be responsive to the type of um, message that we're putting out there, especially, I mean, a lot of my articles, speaking for myself, a lot of the the things that I write, the people who write back to me tend to be aware that there is a conspiracy and an agenda to destroy civilization as we know it and reset things in a under a new order of affairs that's very uh, antithetical to anything moral or good. So they, there's a certain responsiveness to the, to the acknowledgement of a bad conspiracy, um, but there is also a tendency to fall prey to uh, this belief that ultimately the big villain in all of this is China or Russia. Uh, that it's, a, it's it's like some something out of McCarthyism, like the 1950s, where you have people who are trying to say, okay, well, everything about the West is thus great because the bad commies are really at it, controlling this global world government agenda mm. to destroy us, just like they were in the 50s. So you almost have like a re rehashing, a, a revival of McCarthy's ghost in the current era. And, and I mean, I have family members, uh, a couple who are like really, really uh they're they're evangelical they they are really rabid individualists um who are aware that that you know there is this this attack on the culture and the the nuclear family and all of these things but they are of the view that you know if you're too poor to afford health care that the government shouldn't ever supply that for you uh government has no role to play in anything that has to do with our lives and it's like well here you are making bullets as part of your militia in your garage and stuff to prepare to like go to war with the government. Like this is what you're doing. You're using electricity that comes from an electricity grid that was built by not private individual enterprise at any point. This, these were government initiatives that built the infrastructure that supports the electricity, the water management systems, all of these things. And you are saying that government has no role to play in anything. And so it results in his children being ultra polarized against him now falling into the you know rainbow fascism ultra left wow as a consequence of just having this caricature of of you know a conservative parent well, right and yeah, i think that what you did what you wrote in that article yeah, deals with that really well yeah it's let's be christian we're going to believe in this uh uh idea this way this almost lifestyle that's mm. very focused on community that was really born out of an era where people had to stick together uh, especially as the Christianity went through medieval Europe and then eventually got to the Protestant Revolution. Uh, those kind of people bred this religion, but then we're going to also be rabid individualists. Where does Christianity <laughs> and individualism line up? Especially when you get to the sort of honor your father and your mother, about the tradition about, you know, with them. It's, in Islam, it's still here. In Eastern Orthodox, still here about how you should honor guests, mutual respect. Uh, and for century upon century also, uh, Christianity was really the backbone of, you know, the system, uh, yeah. uh, the monarchy that, you know, people have to sort of maintain their place in society, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and so on. They hate that render unto, unto Caesar. Boy, have I heard some 
amazing Protestant um, backpedaling about that one, that somehow uh, Christ saying that, you know, you should kind of play ball with the um, current physical world, but really sure. prepare yourself spiritually for the better after life later. They have tried to spin that every way to make it that uh, individualism was awesome, but uh, they can't delete that out of the Bible. They've probably tried. So, yeah, it's really, I think, very hypocritical to look at things that way. And that's not to say that also that Christianity is some sort of like stamp that uh, Christianity means, well, we have to have communism or something. No, <laughs> but it is definitely something where you are part of something greater. There is a community, uh, Christianity and traditional religion, the Abrahamic religions have no problem with hierarchy. Correct. Zero problem. They also and have zero problem with men being men and women being women. Correct. And people and having it, different functions. Zero and in ancient problem. Israel, I mean, there was always yeah. a safety net. And, you know, every seven years you had a jubilee year where debts were canceled. You've had, and every harvest year, a tenth of the harvest was left for the poor, so the poor do not go hungry. You know, there, there yeah. was a system there. And I think when the more I study the, what is happening in modern Westerndom, especially, you know, uh, post-World War II, excuse me, what I find that is that this, this marketing jargon created by Hollywood, created by Madison Avenue of this thing called the rugged individualism, all like you guys said, it's created narcissism, right? It is yeah. perfect. I mean, if you want a, a, a society where you turn everybody into a raven uh, sociopath narcissist, this is what you roll out. And this is what allows the powers that be to go ahead and dump $12 trillion bombing countries like in Iraq and in Afghanistan with nothing to show for it, and you got seven-year-old girls in, 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 in Alabama who got to sell lemonade to pay for her brain tumor surgery. That's where we are, the mm -hmm. rugged individualism. It's insanity. You can't build, you know, I always tell people, you can't build a community, a civilization on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah. or things should at least make sense. Let's go back to religion. So uh, in a lot of ways, uh, many sort of modern, often governmental bodies have sort of replaced religion. If you look back to the past, like what the heck was, I don't know, the, the church? Well, in some ways, it was almost like uh, a psychologist to help people with their problems. That's what the priest would do. It was sort of a big charity organization because it was supposed to essentially kind of um, redistribute wealth. You know, you tithe, then the church uses it for itself, but also tries to give away stuff some sort of, I don't know, community organizer. It served many, many functions, which have all been basically replaced by the government, or in the case of the American medical system, uh, who the hell knows? It was just sort of, the church really can't help you very much, and no one can. But the thing is, the problem is with that is, is it's sort of like, you know, at least in the past, if you felt extremely miserable about your life, you could talk to the priest. If you felt you screwed up, you could talk to the priest. If you were absolutely starving, but were generally willing to work, you could kind of consult the church. And in fact, in Russia, you can still do that. <laughs> you can. I have a friend who's a monk, and he, literally, he has people who are sometimes, uh, sometimes kind of take his money, <laughs> but they try to, you know, go and beg for him to give him a job so they can do something, so they can get enough money to go buy. Oftentimes, you get screwed, but that's. I mean, the fact that these are the choices that are given to you, and supposedly the richest country in God's green earth, is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I guess the counter argument would be to that is it's like, well, who's going to pay for it? Well, again, when you have this uh, supposed federal budget of $4 trillion, you'd think uh, that you could somehow make it work out, you know, but uh, so it's kind of an issue of priorities. It's an issue of also, of course, uh, corruption um, and so on, because um, I think uh, sometimes the pioneers leave with arrows in their backs and the American system uh, sort of uh, maybe grew up first and had they had the, were able to sort of sink their claws into it and make sure that uh, there'd be no alternative.
Excuse me. Well, there's definitely this uh, this sense of of uh, this corruption of a cult of consumerism. You know, when you listen to people like John F. Kennedy describe, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Um, he wasn't saying go and, and adopt communism. He wasn't saying that. He was simply saying that in order to have a, a democratic republic, it requires that every individual within that system take on an identity that has ingrained within it a, a sense of responsibility for the nation as a whole past and future. And so there, there has to be a sense of willing to sacrifice for a greater, a greater good for this to work. Otherwise, democracy doesn't mean anything. You're just going to be part of uh, a selfish little myopic beast adapting to a herd, which, you know, everybody who's looked at political science for the past 2000 years knows that uh, groupthink is a tool that's been used by oligarchs for a very long time to get people to detach themselves from their own sovereign soul, their own sense of conscience and adapt, fall in alignment with some controlled, you know, herd think, which is, you know, easily, easily manipulated by uh, sophists or, or rhetoricians who really themselves are, are just husks or shells without any substance themselves. It's like a, an Obama versus a Martin Luther King, right? Like you could say, yes, they both use rhetoric, but one actually has substance. When you listen to the, the form of what they're saying, they both use arts of persuasion of people. Whereas one is actually saying something that's inducing you to take on more responsibility to do, do something good for the world. The other one, it's literally just to induce an emotion to get you to have new, new, uh, standards of behavior and you know looking at things like uh like obamacare that's a great example of something which was a big big windig from the get-go like people thought they were getting universal health care no it was a big bailout to private hmos and the creation of new standards that basically started increasingly uh justifying that you could eliminate a human life based upon monetary constraints of you know quality adjustment life years or whatever that give like a certain dollar value for different categories of people depending on their life and be behavior you know if you're fat a, a, a year of your life is worth this much money in dollar terms versus a healthy 20 year old who's worth maybe eighty thousand dollars per year of medical treatment you know and and you would be able to ration and triage care based on that basis and people just fell for that stuff if they actually knew it the way that i just said it they would never have accepted that they would have demanded you know that maybe some of the trillion dollars going into wars would be going into actually giving legitimate universal health care which could have easily been covered by for a fraction of that cost. Yeah, um, it's also a mechanism that keeps people poor because like I was even mentioning mm. in my own um, uh, situation, if I weren't on that weird poverty line level of income, I probably would know that. Uh, um, how should I explain this? But basically, if I were to start making more money, but not a lot more money, let's just say 30% more money mm. than the so that's not going to change my life that's not doesn't mean i'm going to be able to go and have a, a luxury nose job and not even sweat it right <laughs> i would have then my kids would have zero medical care on the territory of the united states of course i live here 90 percent of the time but you know they take vacation and all that so what does that actually mean it means that if you want this obamacare if you want to actually be able to have health care you better stay poor yeah because that middle ground between poverty and the wealth to be able to afford the American medical care system and really take advantage of it, that middle ground is real dangerous. It is. And it's a lot easier to just stay poor. Exactly. And, you know, this is what I've said for years. I, I, and people who've been following me for, for a long time know this. I've always said the middle class is a sucker because the middle class is the only, is, is the only economic stratosphere that doesn't have a hustle. Like the poor in America have a hustle. You go into, like, you know, Bronx, Brooklyn, New York, whatnot – Heck, you even go to some areas in Poughkeepsie, right? You got these guys who are like dirt poor, right? But they're living on government housing. 
but they know how to milk the system where they're getting about 75, you know, 60 to $75,000 in terms of benefits from federal handouts. This is why they're rocking the latest iPhone while you're scrimping and saving trying to get the, the you know, iPhone from five years ago. Or, you know, they're wearing a pair of brand new $240 Air Jordans and you are scrimping and saving trying to buy $60 shoes for your kids. This is the difference. And of course, the wealthy, they have their corporate welfare programs and their loopholes and whatnot. But it's the middle class who's a sucker in this country because he thinks if he plays by the rules, if he dots every I and crosses every T, that you know he plays by the rules, everything will work out well for him. No, it doesn't. So, you know, I, I remember like dealing with uh, entrepreneurial uh, clients of mine that were, they were coming up and they you know first started making like over six figures and they're like, hey man, the Obamacare is out. You know, I'm making 150, 200 grand a year through my business. What do I do? I said, listen, man, start writing off everything and tell the state that uh, you're only making 27k a year. Like, why? Because this way you get, uh, uh, you get what is it called, Med- Medicare? Me- yeah, Medicare, right? Where you you have basically poor people's insurance. Because under Obamacare, on on his income, if you were to report every single one of his income for his business, he would be paying, oh my God, like seven thousand dollars a month for insurance for him and his wife and his two kids, and with, with, with a fifteen thousand really? dollar deductible. I thought it would be more like seven hundred. What? Yeah, that's... no, but like seven thousand, man. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous. And that was in New York State. That was yeah. in New York State. So that's how brutal it was. I was like, listen, man, you better, you better say you make a lot less. Start doing some offsets. Start, you know, putting on your taxes. That you, you know, start having more write-offs. Start collecting your receipts and say, hey, this is your declared income. This is what you're making out, you know, at the end of the year. Just so he doesn't have. He, I mean, he'll literally be in the poorhouse. He'll be re- literally running his business to pay for health insurance on top of a mortgage, on top of the obscene property taxes and all the other obscene taxes that are going on in New York. It's just ridiculous. And this is why I think I think this is what's happening in the West. You create these quote-unquote rugged individuals. You create these people who are duped into living this rugged, I'm an individual lifestyle, and then it's divide and conquer. Where right yeah. now you see in the West, we're seeing a transition to what you know Matt and I always, always talk about, neo-feudalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I could I could yeah. definitely see that. I, I just also like to to uh, to k- kind of get into um, why uh, some of these middle class people seem like suckers. We have to if we look in a greater scheme at the United States, and this is something I learned from being in Russia, so we can finally start tying Russia and all this. Yeah. Is that um, Americans really s- believe that due to the past of America's history, if you obey the rules and work hard, you get results, right? Because the whole world <clears throat> from problem situations immigrate to america and to be honest until maybe recently you could generally say that america was definitely the better choice well especially if you know consider that there are people who fled religious oppression war obviously america would be the better choice even a bad america like today okay so it doesn't come from nowhere the sucker mentality and when you come to russia and you see the difference because people ask what's the biggest difference the biggest difference between americans and russians is russians do not care about rules at all Rules mean nothing. They are suggestions, as in rules being laws. Yeah. Uh, and that's a huge difference because really when you get to America, dealing with anything in America, uh, especially white middle-class America, every little rule counts. If there is a teeny tiny sign that says don't step on the grass, no one will step on that grass. And the question is, is that good or bad? In this discussion, you guys seem to see that as bad. I personally really don't like that. Uh, if you go to Russia and there's a sign that says don't step on the grass, someone's already stepped on the sign. 
no one cares. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, uh, one thing that's good about America is because people believe in working hard means success. Everyone follows the rules. Generally, things in America tend to sort of work better, like bureaucracies and systems, whereas in Russia, you know, whatever. Uh, so it definitely has its pluses and minuses. But I would tell you one thing. Always be careful in dealing with business with uh, Russian immigrants because they bring that mentality from here. Because oh, yeah. uh, there's an old joke in Russian that, uh, you know, the Communist Party lied to us about communism, but they told us the God's honest truth about capitalism. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they come to America with that mentality. In a lot of ways, I think that's one of the reasons why Russians can be very successful in America, because they come there very pessimistic, zero respect for law, ready to do business. You know, so uh, that's that that's a that's the typical trader on the trading floor in Wall Street, right there. <laughs> uh, Wendell says he steps the Russian blood. I like that. <laughs> Tim, what 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 made you move into Russia? Well, uh, this is another one of those things which is besides kinda, the weather. Uh, no, besides the weather, actually, well, the weather, you know, as you get older, like it a little bit less. But I don't deal well with the heat, to be honest. As you can see, um, I'm in an apartment right now, uh, and I am just soaked with sweat. There's nothing hot in here, right? So I sweat all the time. <laughs> I, I don't deal well with warmth, so that helps. But I'm from Cleveland. Uh, probably most of you guys have uh, heard negative things about Cleveland. Generally, that's true. Uh, but the big problem is that I grew up in a, a majority black neighborhood, right? So uh, although you don't hear it, I don't sound like I'm some sort of rap star. My <laughs> upbringing was by black people and with black people, right? That's not so much a problem. The problem is, as you guys saw with Black Lives Matter and all this stuff, when there's when there's someone we need to blame, guess who's getting blamed? Uh, <laughs> and dealing with that through my entire, especially teenage years, it just got old. You know, it just gets old always being, you know, cracker or whitey or whatever, sort of being the enemy. Uh, you know, I'm sure anyone who's a ethnic minority in some situation, let's try to pick a situation. A Serb in the new Kosovo Republic. Well, that's a that's a big debate in Russia. Uh, Russians in U in the Ukraine as it is now. Uh, this, uh, you know, Russians, the Baltics. Uh, anyone who's a sort of ethnic minority uh, in a hostile area has probably had the same sort of situations happen now the other problem is, is that uh when you get to this uh we were just talking about the mentality of the middle class white american of this wow we should always be happy all the time and we need to talk really really high really high and really feminine with our voice and have a nice white picket fence and if some bad person comes by we've got to roll up the window in our car and like when you're raised by black people that is utterly repulsive like that <laughs> White picket fences, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, Becky and Clark, or would probably be Becky and Peyton now, is like that couple, uh, like, you uh, know. Kevin and Karen. Ab yeah, Karen now. Um, absolutely, absolutely repulsive to me. And that's the problem. So I kind of got stuck between, okay, uh, this is the world I'm from. The world I'm from is African-American. Uh, I am not allowed to be part of that world. Uh, it's just, you're just not, Okay. But the white America sort of middle class thing, but also I'm because not only do I not really particularly like it, but because I was from outside it, uh, I never really fit into it. I had some girlfriends from like other high schools and it was always just like you go to these sort of like house parties with these of these the, with your girlfriend's friends from these other schools that were full of white people. It's just like, what the, what the hell? Are you allowed to swear here? Yeah, absolutely. Bro. Okay. So literally, it's just like, what the fuck is up with this? <laughs> what is what is this, this this 
bickering, this back talk. What is going on? Yeah. Just stuff that, you know, because you're in your uh, African-American urban Overton window. Yeah, when the, you go the, outside that window, you're just mind is blown. The, yeah, there's so, no gossipy. Uh, is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no yep. gossipy uh, bickering and back talk, you know, in the hood. It, it's it's survival of the fittest. Man. Certainly not with men. Uh, no. Probably with, with the women, but that was more. Res but with the guys, no, 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 no. You, like you, just, where I was from, you you acted like a man. Yep. It didn't matter what your race. If you're a Hindu immigrant, <laughs> immigrant, you're a man. All right, it does it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, uh, I knew there was a one kid. His name was Raj Beer, and he thought that that was so cool that he had beer in his name. So, you know, he'd be like uh, with his accent, like rap flowing, like the beer, the drinking money. Uh, I, don't know, I can't do it. Any <laughs> Not feeling too good. But anyways, everyone in Cleveland eventually sort of had to man up, uh, as it were. But anyways, uh, my ancestry is 100 percent Slavic. My last name is fake uh, because my great grandfather uh, illegally immigrated. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> so. My, my Anglo -Saxon the truth finally name, comes out. <laughs> yeah, my Anglo-Saxon last name is fake. But obviously, I'm, you know, fourth generation, so I was born in America, so it's not a problem. But, um, uh, yeah, so uh, all my answers came from Eastern Europe, so I decided to go back. When I was uh, 16, I saved up money to go visit some relatives in Poland, and it changed, you know, that really changed uh, everything. So uh, uh, have you heard of cuss with guns? Uh, guns and cussing go well together, my friend. But... Uh, yeah, so that sort of adventure when I was 16 going to Poland, you know, you were there. I went in the middle of winter for whatever God knows why reason. I think it worked out schedule-wise, you know, Christmas break. But, like, dude, you know, there's adventure. You just do you just do whatever the hell you want. And you could drink alcohol at 16, which was kind of fun. Uh, and, you know, like, because there's no police, you know, like my uh, one cousin was just like, here, man, just drive my car. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how to drive a stick shift. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. So driving through the snow on his car and going to like these little like dinky, dingy 90s, like 1990s Eastern European nightclubs. And the other big thing is that although I did was able to have girlfriends, I'm not a wasn't a complete uh, incel loser, although I was close. Uh, you know, in Poland, all of a sudden, even though, you know, people didn't the women didn't really know who I was, uh, the reaction was a lot more positive. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that really set the tone. And then later, uh, when I got to the end of my uh, stint at university, uh, I was uh, kind of found out about the U.S. Peace Corps. And so I did Peace Corps in Kazakhstan. And that really sealed the deal. Because, again, going to Kazakhstan and the level of uh, freedom, the freedom that I want, because everyone's idea of freedom is different. Okay, We have different concepts of it. My concept of freedom is out here. And uh, when I served in Kazakhstan, I really, uh, it really just, uh, Poland, opened the door and then Kazakhstan just sort of nailed the door open forever. It's time to walk through. So did you, yeah. uh, did you just jump right into uh, geopolitical analysis? Uh, how did you become a, a public figure with a, as a, as a talk show radio host and other things that was that a, what sort of transition was that like? Oh, you, you, you want to, you know, the problem is the truth is it's a, it's a little emotional. Are we, are we, are we ready to get into the, the, the manosphere emotions? Okay. Yes, let's do it. Um, I had a girlfriend who I uh, loved desperately, which I shouldn't have. Um, I've had a couple of oh, times boy. in my life, girls sort of would be like, they were all from America. The the, the ones who, they said, like, uh, you're good looking. I'm really, really tall. I'm like 6'1". So that's probably what they meant. So you're tall and um, I have this window of time available. Let's bang for this amount of time. And this was one of the girls I sort of had uh, when I when I served there. And I really, really fell in love with her, like a moron. 
because she even kind of made it clear. She's like, dude, when this is over, you're out. You're you're just you're you're okay, you know, you're you have one purpose. I should have accepted that, but for some reason I didn't. I was really um uh kind of kind of fell in love with her way too hard. But that's when you're young and that's when you're blue pilled, and that's when you're raised on different <laughs> So so, anyways, near the end of the relationship, I kind of mentioned her, like she's like, Well, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? It's like, well. I really wanted to kind of work in ideas somehow. Um, I really get excited by this, like making political change and all this stuff. She was like, what are you talking about? No one's ever going to listen to you. No one's ever going to listen to just some guy like you. You don't have any ideas. You, uh, I forget. She kind of went into this whole thing to sort of dress me down. And uh, you know what happens when someone dresses certain people down? Well, my response was like, okay, fuck you then. Is it hard. <laughs> Uh, and so if you want to know the real impetus, it was, uh, I've always had the desire to have some sort of meaning in life, to be able to be in that meaning through some sort of ability to have influence, yeah. which I kind of have. So in some ways, to some extent, I actually accomplished my life goal. So yay, happy party. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, I didn't quite know how I'd get there, uh, but it kind of worked out. And uh, it was sort of that moment that really motivated me to... Uh, uh, show her uh, kind of what for. So, yeah, I'm an asshole. I, I work on revenge-based principles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in some ways, there, there's some parallels to, to my own uh, personal experience in some ways. Uh, because early on, while I was still uh, blue-pilled, as you called it, um, I was dating a girl who uh, really got into David Icke. Oh, and boy. Really, like, like, deep, deep. And... Uh, <laughs> And I could just see this transition um, into a, you know, from from a, a typical left critical anti corporate sort of personality into, you know, we were we were into like Noam Chomsky maybe is like, eh, you know, but but then after just a few weeks with David Ike, it would just go the rabbit hole got deeper and deeper, and uh, and I tried to follow along to sort of see, well, okay, if this is true, if nine eleven was an inside job, if there are these international conspiracies, prove it to me, demonstrate it to my reason that this could be true. Couldn't she shape shift into a lizard in front of me? Well, that's the thing that kind of that kind of undermines <laughs> that kind of undermines the entire argument, right? Because there might have been like elements of of persuasive uh, facts being brought up, but then at the end of the day, there's all shape shifting lizards out to suck your fear yeah, energy yeah. from another dimension that really want to create global warming because lizards like warm, and that's why there's global warming because they're trying to like you know create a greenhouse effect. Yeah, so they're trying to create a terrarium. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so. Um, I couldn't really go along with that. I couldn't accept that. Um, and, uh, and so she basically said, you know, you're, you're just brainwashed. You're, you're insane oh. that you're still, uh, believing the, uh, the shadow lands and stuff. So, um, mm. at, after we broke up, I was still kind of in pain cause I did love her. And, um, I was like, well, is it really that she is that nuts? Cause she seemed reasonable when we began dating. How could, how could somebody have gone that, that full hog? And so I started on my own path, like now just trying to look up some some actual documentaries on my own terms and reading material on my own terms about 9-11, about the Federal Reserve and other things. And I was like, holy shit, there's actually a lot of truth here. And so I began my own sort of pursuit going through a, a personal crisis. Um, and then maybe it wasn't so much motivated by the uh, fuck you revenge thing, but still it had a little bit of that too. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do it right. You, you, you were, you know, going into this conspirophile world of, of truth seeking in a crazy way. I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to show you how it's actually done, uh, properly. 
Um, and so that became sort of at least at, at the starting point in impetus. I won't say that that drove me that long, but that was that was there at the start. Judging also by one of the comments, one a woman sort of wrote something like, yeah, it's all because of an American woman. It's not all. It's more that that was a, a good jumping off point for me. So, yeah, it's not all because of this one interaction with one person, but it's a little bit of a spark, you know? Well, I think everybody needs sort of like that, that is sort of, you know, if you're born into a world, a, a very controlled environment, culturally, everything, um, how do you possibly break out of that conditioning? Usually there's, I, I know some sort of a, a trauma, a shock of some sort that just gets people into that better, that other emotional space, that dissonance, where they could then work out, uh, a, you know, work out the cognitive dissonance and actually accept that a lot of the, the core assumptions that governed your identity and the world you lived in are completely wrong. But it, it doesn't usually happen easily. And one thing I can say in my case is that uh, I, I now work in sort of building up ideological concepts, like some mm -hmm. of the things you've read on the Strategic Culture Foundation, which is super duper. Uh, but uh, one difference between, you know, I think a lot of people and one thing that maybe some of your viewers might want to try to consider having this mentality is growing up in America, there was liberalism. We have uh, Republican liberalism, Democrat liberalism. We have two sides of the same coin. Right. Uh, ultimately, growing up, I knew that there were there were things that didn't work about America that I'll, I'll both put this way. I had the assumption that I don't think we have this right. Like this, this I, every idea, how to live, how to structure society. I kind of yeah. came at things like we're probably wrong about at least some things. So I think that that made maybe to also this transition into to working in new and different ideas a little bit easier. But still, when you have a framework of liberalism, you're stuck with it because you have to have some ideological framework. Even the dumbest, most disinterested person you know has some kind of sort of framework in their head or else they would be very hard for them to exist with zero answers to even some of the most basic questions about existence. Uh, but I think maybe maybe that also, Matt, will work in your case. Perhaps you are a little bit more open-minded than the average person to hearing something new or different. Or do you disagree? Mm, well, I, I think that I, I went through a, a couple of years of depression um, because the, the entire implications of um, this idea that there is a long a long-term conspiracy to herd society unnaturally into a slaughterhouse was very difficult for me to uh, cope with. And I took it very seriously. It wasn't something I could just sort of like read and then move on to another thing. I had to, like, it was very real for me. It was very visceral. So uh, for a couple of years, and I, I went, I, I think at a certain point, um, I went a little bit perhaps too much into it where uh, at a certain point I was sort of uh, speaking to everybody I could meet um, and try we, to persuade them. We were all them. 20 once, man. We were all huh? 20 once. Yeah, you know, but <laughs> it, it wasn't going. And I, for, for me, what I was discovering is that under the two circumstances, either people thought that I was crazy, which was the majority of people after they would hear me speaking about various conspiratorial things I'd been investigating and, and you know, trying to persuade them to believe the same thing as I. And, and some, usually it wouldn't work that well, but sometimes it would. And sometimes I would wield my facts, wield my argument well. And, and in those cases, I just sort of was... A, a walking downer, you know, like, <laughs> like really bad energy. And it would just like kind of you know, leave people pretty depressed. So I was like, well, I came to a resolution that since I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have a solution to any of this stuff that the best thing I could do is shut the hell up and, you know, let people just live in a, in the happy illusion since, you know, that's better than being depressed and not having any idea what to do to put out the fire. 
But I did I did say that if if I did ever encounter anything that would provide a functional, reasonable solution that could diagnose the problem uh, adequately, I would help it. And so it did happen that one day I was I was on a smoke break um, at work and uh, and there was a political table with some members of the Schiller Institute who were talking about depopulation and, and they were talking about things Ooh. like bring back. Ooh. Yeah. And it was like, I know about that. All right, let's talk. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we, we, and they weren't promoting depopulation. They were warning that there was an agenda to depopulate. And, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I was like, well, why is that such, I, I understand that that's what's going on, but why is that such a bad thing? Because in my mind, I couldn't really refute that that wasn't necessary. Cause I was like, well, there are a lot of people on the earth and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't work it through. Right. So yeah. um, they, I was finally given a rational idea of why having people on the earth, even more people than we currently have could be a good thing because every person is more is, is a mind, which could solve problems. And there's a lot of problems to solve. So that could be a good right. thing. If you just change the way you're thinking about, political economy and culture and a lot of other things. But if you change those things, having people is good. Uh, we are a resource that creates resources. So that that for me was a big, it snapped a lot of things together in my mind. And I got a sense of like why this oligarchy um, was actually uh, absolutely wrong, was provably so, and why there was a better solution that was functional based upon what used to be done in the better times before we were born. Um, you know, and, and if you look at how people like Franklin Roosevelt or Lincoln or JFK were uh, managing political economic policies, it was like nothing that we have under the consumer cult of liberalism that we live in today. Yeah, they were actually using, utilizing state credit protectionism, large scale projects and infrastructure that defined what the capitalist system was going to do. It wasn't just every man for himself. So that was also that helped piece things together. Um, and uh, so that that became sort of my my bridge into a more activist oriented, self-empowered uh, identity, I think, that I've been working on uh, for the past 15 years or so. So but yeah, it, it did happen through trauma. There was there was it, it was a, a lot of a lot of turbulence along the way to get there. <laughs> yeah. Tim, what do you see right now in the geopolitical space that's happening in terms of relations between Russia, the United States, and where do you think things are going, especially with the One Belt, One Road initiative, the multipolar world, and your views on the decline of the West and where the West is heading in the next several years to come? Well, the, the Belt and Road initiative is a good one to jump into because it's, it's really a brief thing. Basically, since I would since really the early Obama period, um, especially when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, there was already an obvious sort of shift towards trying to surround the South China Sea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's not just for fun or let's invade China now. Because the real reason is that uh, the, the true revolution behind China's industrial output, uh, of course, it helps that they have the big population, that they build a ton of factories, they do a good job overall making cheap stuff. But the reason that it's cheap is because uh, sea exports became the real super cheap way to export things. So basically, the real miracle of the Chinese export economy is are these, uh, what are they called? Like super liner, super cargo ships that yeah. can take insane amount of cargo for, you know, pennies, maybe even less, <laughs> pennies on the kilogram uh, to wherever you want in the world. That's the real revolution. And so the real threat um, to, to China was that, well, this is your, this is the backbone of your economy. How about we make sure that at any moment we can paralyze that backbone? Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's where the whole Belt and Road Initiative was really born from, was Plan B. 
obviously it's more expensive to send things by uh, train through Siberia or Iran uh, than it is to do so by a uh, giant boat, but it still beats nothing. And so it's kind of plan B. Uh, it also is a sort of shift in focus to, well, if the economic uh, center of the uh, map keeps going east, well, eventually the Chinese probably are figuring if it keeps going east every year, maybe regardless of what NATO warships do, we might need to actually just start sending things by train because we're not going to have to send it this far. You mm. see what I mean? Yeah. So that's sort of another part of it. We get into the sort of whole geography uh, side of that. If we wanted to talk about the latest specifically geopolitical uh, issue that's come up that didn't exist in previous years, but you're going to have to allow me to cough here. Hold yeah, no, no, do you think? That was gross. Now, <laughs> the biggest one is this AUKUS thing, this uh, deal where the... Well, um, hold on, Tim. One thing about AUKUS, I don't know if you got the latest news. The UK did pull out. They're not part of AUKUS anymore. New Zealand has joined, and it's been renamed. It's no longer AUKUS. It is ANUS. <laughs> I'm joking, but go ahead. Wow. Hey, a... yeah, Australia, New Zealand, US, anus. <laughs> I, 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 I can't deny that something deep down inside of me really likes that. So I, I, not, I, I will neither confirm nor deny that I like that joke very much. Um, go ahead, buddy. So... I, I like Pepe Escobar's. You, uh, he actually arranged it differently. He, <laughs> you, he you says it, it should be. You, you suck, eh? You suck, you, you suck, eh? That's where the that's when the Canadians join. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, so, so what what is what the, the Russian view of it is maybe a little bit over optimistic. But you want to talk to someone with this unique view on Russia, which you can get from my uh, channel on YouTube, Tim Kirby Russia, three words separate. Tim Kirby Russia, you should subscribe. But the whole thing about this from the Russian perspective is that it's like, wait, so kind of the U.S. is trying to sort of get around using NATO. And it seems like maybe you, you know, uh, the U S is orienting towards some sort of Anglo-Saxon sea alliance rather than trying to force continental Europe again to do what it wants. F France, let's get them out of here. That's kind of a, a different political shift. And it's also, again, going back to the previous topic, it's again, putting down even more stakes on choking out that South China Sea, if need be. Yeah, because uh, we can play COVID games all we want. Uh, let's say there is an evil conspiracy to make things more expensive and have less products in America or the world, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's jump into conspiracy land. If there is, that would be one way to do it, would be to create some sort of BS reason that the South China Sea is now a hazard or war zone or something where you can't transport through there. So, again, it's sort of doubling down on that process that began, I believe, please forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was Obama era while Hillary Clinton was still Secretary of State. I believe I, that's I, what that started. I think you really wrong. hit on something there. Could be wrong. No, no so I think you really hit that. on something. Yeah, but Russians are optimistic about that because it means if continental Europe is sort of, uh, you know, uh, just too much of a of dead weight for NATO – that could open a lot of really good opportunities for Russia. Not opportunities to conquer France, no, not like that, but opportunities to sort of renegotiate with Europe. Because you have to remember that uh, Russia could, in theory, do a lot of business with Europe, but there's a certain big, powerful country that makes Europe have sanctions on Russia, even when local Europeans protest that day and night because they're the ones who are the big losers. It's interesting. Tim, you don't know something. Here's something uh, you, you, you hit upon a, a point there that kind of, Made a light bulb go off in my head. If yeah. you, remember, you guys, you know, we're all Gen X. We're all in the pretty much same age category here. 
But uh, you guys remember back in the 80s when during the Cold War and uh, we went to war with Russia on an economic level where, you know, there was a, a you know, we're trying to hyperinflate the ruble. There were, you know, fi um, um, financial instruments that were launched to expressly do that during that time, the 80s uh, via Tokyo Stock Exchange and as well as, um, you know, the, the, the buildup, right, the whole uh, arms race and all that. Now, we took out the, the Russian, you know, uh, uh, especially the petroleum industry really tanked. But at the end of that entire process in 89, we damn near lost Texas. Right. I mean, literally, we lost te te Texas economy, especially in, in petrochemicals, was wrecked during that entire time. So the American oligarchs at that time were willing to sacrifice Texas in order to take out the Soviet Union. And now fast forward to today where the, 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 the same oligarchs, well, most of them are dead. You got the, the, the B team uh, playing right now and, and, and the retards that are in power right now, the, the current crop of oligarchs. They, like you, you mentioned, make the South China Sea so damn like a war zone that you cannot ship through there. Is it reason why we're, you know, I, th this morning, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up here again so CJ could, uh, could share the screen. The whole Taiwan airspace thing, right? And I talked about this yeah. this morning. The Taiwan Air Defense Zone. And this is from, hold on, CJ, I'm going to share this screen real quick. This is from the uh, Taiwan Ministry of Defense, okay? And there's like, oh, China just sailed a, a seven, go ahead, CJ, 70 aircraft into our area, 69, 59 aircraft into our area. Mm -hmm. This, look at the size of this. Yeah. This is considered their entire defense zone. It goes into China. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that's kind of part That's kind of part of the problem when they consider themselves the legitimate government of China. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's exactly why, and that's why uh, the key thing also to understanding about geopolitics in our time that your viewers need to understand that for China, there is Taiwan. For Russia, there is the Ukraine. And yeah. both of these regions serve as a perfect mechanism to constantly antagonize uh, Moscow and Beijing. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's a perfect example of it. One hundred percent. So my my thing is this: I mean, these are all the Chinese flights right down here. This is their stupid air defense zone. Are they making the especially with the with all the you know the freedom of provocation that's been happening? Are they making the South China Sea that dangerous, that repulsive that it becomes so cost prohibitive for an export country like China to be able to export their wares that they're willing to wreck? Not this time Texas, but the entire American economy to do so. That's a terrifying mm. thought. Mm. Well, yeah, because literally the government of uh, Taiwan could at any moment uh, uh, of their own volition or maybe with a nice uh, nudge uh, call out, oh, please, Australia, send those amazing new submarines to protect us. There's too many planes flying around us, kind of, sort of. And uh, things are going to get real rough in America real quick after that happens. We'll get real rough in China, too, to an extent. It'll really rely on, again, how effective this Belt and Road Initiative is. And um, the, uh, let's just say, the, the Belt and Road Initiative also relies a lot more on partnership with other countries. So a little bit also relies on the goodness and moral character of certain Iranians and Russians. <laughs> so that's also kind of part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this this looking at things from the standpoint of this uh, in idea of the BRI, like the BRI is expressing something which goes back a long time in human history of nations working on a view of foreign policy based upon cooperation, interconnectivity, developing long term projects together with your neighbors so that you could create conditions where 
uh, you have abundance. You're not just uh, you're not just eating away at an ever ever uh, diminishing pie with ever increasing increasingly small rates of diminishing returns for each of the parts, and then fighting over that the way geopoliticians always get us to to fall into you know these absurd wars. Going back to the the Thirty Years' War and before that, it was about little territorial gains over little mining interests or forests or whatever. Whatever the case may be, if it's if it's a physical thing in reality and it has some value economically, you can get people to fight over it. Even and that includes also um, as an addition to ideological or religious fights too. So whatever the case, get people who have different interests to fight, and that and manage the system of chaos from above. Um, when you look at things that way, it's so useful. And and I was just thinking uh, about how you know I was reading a speech by Bashar al-Assad in two thousand and nine, where he was organizing this five C strategy. You guys hear about the five C strategy of of, yes. of new a, to me? It's amazing. It, it was initiated in two thousand and four. He had began or begun organizing all of the different partnering nations. I think he got something like, and that's what put the target on his back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I mean, he had something like nine different countries sign on to memorandum of understanding to work on this thing that involved connecting through rail roads and other vital infrastructure corridors. Gaddafi all of was the, a part of that as well. Gaddafi was a part of that. Yep. That's right. And I think uh, Mubarak was also to a certain degree. Also, and, and we saw what happened those two. Yeah. And the idea was the Caspian Sea, the Red Sea, the Mediterranean, um, I'm forgetting one, I think the Black Sea, would all be connected by these development corridors. And Syria and as well Lebanon would become hubs of economic progress, which was very synergistic with what later became the Belt and Road Initiative, you know. And this was moving fast. It wasn't just an idea. This was like pulling in investment capital. It was like being worked out by, in, by uh, teams of engineers. And like you said, Gaddafi was moving ahead with the great man-made water system as well. The biggest water project, I think, in, in the last hundred years was being built with the help of people like, you know, construction companies like SNC-Lavalin from Montreal, here where I am, yeah. um, to pull out water. All, all of these untapped underground water at, uh, re reserves underneath the Sahara Desert were being brought up in an organized way to make the Sahara uh, bloom as the first stage of a multi-phase program that was transformative. And it was also being funded by alternative uh, financial mechanisms that were outside of the IMF and World Bank monopolies. So all of this was sort of a, a zone of development with this other paradigm that was completely outside of the type of rules of the rules-based order that were dominant for the past 40 years. And that had to be stopped. And the way that they did that was just chaos and make the entire Middle East and North African zone economically unviable. Make sure that nobody would be... the nobody would be insane enough to invest in any type of five, 10, 20 year project in that zone because it's, it's so uncertain due to, you know, civil war, terrorism, other things, you know, and, and this is what we all, you know, saw when that whole zone was turned back into the, the, the stone age. So the fact that they're just applying now the same sort of instability with, uh, you know, around China's perimeter again is, uh, is it has precedence but what do you think about the the relationship? Do you think that the because part of the idea of the quad as well, which plays into this, the the Pacific uh, NATO involves also India um, as as a as a vital player on top of you know Japan and and Australia and the U.S. But India is a part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is you know a Russia China led amazing thing that now has Iran on board. So Tim, do you think that? the that this can work do you think that this destabilization thing can work when you have so many parts of the uh the machine now working well, together on cooperation I, I, i'm going to answer that question a little bit of a kind of um skewed way 
Because mm. what you just mentioned, the SEO, I think in a lot of ways, the SEO was actually created by that insanity, mm. uh, by the destabilization. Because it really, in a lot of ways, um, all of uh, the big dogs' enemies, in one way or another, be they very diverse. We have, you know, uh, who does America generally hate? Well, you got Russia, you got China, you got Iran, you've got, uh, to an extent, uh, North Korea. Venezuela is more on the hate list. It wasn't always there. Cuba's an old one. Uh, they're a little bit too far away. But overall, the, if you look, especially on a map right now, if you go to Wikipedia and you look at the map of the member states and potential member states of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it is the Eurasian landmass. Yes. It is that like united Eurasian heartland landmass that, what's his name, Mackinder uh, wrote about in the very first usage of the term geopolitics at the end of the 19th century. So in a bizarre way, some some attempts by Washington to sort of disrupt that, to fight this geopolitical battle of sea versus land, they've actually created possibly the strongest, most united land yeah. group, organization, uh, willful force that has ever existed. So it's uh, maybe they should just try doing nothing. Uh, yeah, they should. Let, I mean, look, look, look what happened to Japan. Look what happened to Japan. They, they just elected Kishida. As a new prime minister, that is to normalize relations with China. So the question becomes: Will we get a a a, a treaty or a truce, an official truce and treaty between J uh, Japan and Russia, and will we probably get a, a a normalization relationship also with Japan and and China? There, there's a huge thing there, especially with some of the statements that were coming forth from Kishida saying that he wants a normalized relationship uh, with China. So that's a big mm -hmm. kick in the nuts to the quad because we know the Indians the Indians are going to play neutral. They got some really good uh, diplomats that do some really good statecraft, and yeah, they're they're in the quad thing, but they're also at the SEO meetings. They're you know mm -hmm. they have issues, but they're going to keep that neutral thing and 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 try to keep it going that way. Especially the the whole Chabahar port that got going on with the Persians. Yeah. And now you have the the Japanese that are like, okay, this I, I don't think uh, swallowing the suicide pact along with uh, uh, AUKUS and Anus is the is the route to go. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, unfortunately, Japan's kind of stuck where they may be out east, but they're a sea power. Yeah. <laughs> so I think in a lot of ways, that's why Japan is that weird outlier. Like you have the great um, uh, sail, uh, age of sail uh, empires uh, of Western Europe. And then later on, Japan kind of joins in the, joins in that little group there. And I think that that's why, because they're, they're stuck on those islands. It's all about the land versus sea, man. Uh, that's one of those things where when you first hear it, it sounds insane. But then you start looking at history, you're like, yeah, that's exactly yeah, living as a land or sea society really does affect a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Matt, what's on your radar? Well, um, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of potential for good and for bad going in uh, to the coming week. Um, I, there, there's so many things we didn't talk about, and maybe that's that's OK, because. You know, the world is a very fluid place right now. I, I would just add one thing. I was just reading how uh, one of the, the top um, performers at the recent Taiwanese elections was actually a party. The, 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 I think they got something like 30, 30 or 33% of the, the, the popular vote was a party led by a guy whose entire platform was led by uh, reintegration with China. So it wasn't, you know, a lot of people think of Taiwan as being just sort of this one-dimensional thing. And there actually is uh, a huge resistance movement amongst the population that recognizes how they're being played uh, geopolitically and they recognize that the future does exist with this other uh, China-Russia-led multipolar 
greater Eurasian partnership orientation, which actually has a future. Um, and same thing for Japan too. You know, you, there's a lot of people there who recognize how Japan has been a lot of the, the, um, the fascist traditions of Japan, just like in Ukraine has been, uh, artificially inflamed, uh, over the decades. And, you know, they don't like that. They don't, they don't, they're not happy with the fact that they're also being used to replay this old, um, formula, uh, in a new potential third world nuclear war. Um, yeah. so you do have a lot of people who are organizing to again, work in harmony with China. So I, I think that the force of just the times itself, you know, we have almost 8 billion people on the earth. We have nuclear technology, which we've never had in human civilization's history that gives us a power for the first time to completely wipe out civilization. Um, but at the same time, that power, we, we have this great power within the, the harnessing of the atom to do great good as well. You know, like we could easily, easily, if we so chose, uh, feed humanity. We could end hunger within a lifetime, uh, or, you know, even a couple of decades, you could, if you, if you ch really pushed a crap, a crash program with a full intention and backing of a community of, of nation states, yeah. you could really do miracles, um, in a great way. So there's these, uh, these two different futures pulling on us. Um, I have faith as an optimist that Overall, human, human beings were created in the image of a good and loving creator in a, in a universe which is good and loving and not just this cold, dead, mechanistic, nihilistic universe of just rules that have no reason, which some seem to really believe in religiously. Um, but based on that faith, I, I have to see that even though there's a lot of corruption and uh, very, very uninspiring leadership in the West, that yeah. there's a higher... Um, as how does Martin Luther King put it that the arc of history is long but it bends towards justice mm -hmm. that ultimately that this will win win out in the end yeah. but you know it's, it's really an article of it has to be a, it comes down to a, a question of belief and faith at the end of the day you know it, last yeah, question think, last question to both of you guys yeah and uh, I, I would love to have uh, you guys back on this has been so much freaking fun uh, Anytime. Tim and uh, first Tim I'll start with you and then Matt as well what do you see is going to play out? Because right now the hot button here is we're seeing the empire dying a cut, dying a death of a million cuts. Okay, um, what do you think is going to play out here in the United States in the next couple in the next few years? Uh, you know, I, I talk to most Americans. Some think some people think they're going to vote themselves out of this uh, nonsense that they're in. I, I don't see it. I think there's a, there's a potential of of America descending into some sort of a a, 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 a very extreme tyranny. Or it could literally break apart in some sort of a uh, secession of states or, or even there's a potential, uh, albeit small one, but there is a potential of civil war. So there's a lot of things that are happening, none of which is going to work out well. I, 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 I see the trajectory at this point being very terminal for the, for the patient. I just want to know what you guys think and what you guys see, especially, Tim, you're, you're over there in Russia, Matt being in Canada. Go ahead, Tim. Okay. Well, first off, um, when we get into the discussion of uh, secessionism, um, we have to remember that if you want to talk about where the average person is naive, yeah, that's a discussion on secessionism. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, I did an interview on my uh, channel there, Tim Kirby Rush on YouTube with uh, uh, Marinelli. He is was the candidate for governor of California who wants to break California away from the rest of the United States. Totally disagree with the guy in every, uh, uh, every possible issue. However, it was kind of nice to talk to him. So very interesting. But uh, the thing is with this uh, secession, uh, until Washington is that weak that it can happen, it's not going to happen. Right. 
Right. Uh, because I think people have a very, again, this goes back to this Amer sort of American naive way of thinking, this uh, white middle class guy way, way of thinking that, well, if we formally ask to secede, th then they'll do it. Because that's the way the law is, even though it's not really in the law. Try try finding the mechanisms by which to a uh, state can secede somewhere in the U.S. law. Try finding that first off. Uh, but secondly, people really believe that if you or if you gather enough um, signatures, yeah, that it's going to happen. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. So what so the secessionist sort of uh, breakup of America? What would really uh, that? What would that signal if that were to happen? It would signal that the deep state's done. They have no means to contain rogue governors or foreign influence, be it Russian, Chinese, other, be it homegrown, be it uh, certain billionaires in America have had enough. Because remember, uh, although we may uh, tend to um, uh, sort of um, focus on the uh, very ultra-rich who have these bizarre Trotskyite uh, uh, anti-humanist fantasies about what the yeah. future should look like, uh, there's plenty of people with money who don't think that way. Right. Uh, so... Uh, you know, um, yeah. Now, that was more about my spiel about secessionism because I think it's a very naive, naively approached topic uh, in uh, English language discourse. Moving on from that, uh, what do I think is going to happen? I'm not sure, but we are definitely on a tyranny trajectory. Remember what happened to Trump. Remember the shutdown of Washington, D.C. during the elections. We have a man who uh, is, was, the, uh, 40, was the 45th president of the United States who still kind of always writes that he still is the president. <laughs> so we've kind of gotten to this weird thing. Like, remember, wasn't there like, uh, what city was that? Avignon in France. And there was like the Pope in Rome and then the other Pope. Yeah. We've gotten to that point, guys. <laughs> we've gotten to that point where we have uh, Pope and anti-Pope of America here. Uh, and uh, we saw the crackdown. We saw what happened in the last election. Yeah, the voting is already not much of an option. The, the fraud was uh, brutally obvious. Oh, and... Yeah, so we so we already sort of have entered into a. Uh, I don't really like the word tyranny because I always think the government has to be repressive. That's part of the nature of government. Let's just put it this way: we're in a heavy-handed, uh, overly heavy-handed period. We have entered into there uh, pretty headlong, and I think that that trajectory is going to continue until something changes. Be it probably something economic on a very serious level, but uh, the trajectory is unpleasant for the average American. Very well said, Matt. Yeah, uh, I, um, I I I find it. Um, I, I've I listen to things like Steve Bannon's calls for uh, shock troops to be uh, to take over and deconstruct the state, and I I get a, I get some chills because uh, Yeah, yeah, it, it's not it's not a good thing, and I mean I think Trump understood what on a certain degree in 2007, what Steve Bannon was as a Goldman Sachs um, counter gang operation within his own government when he, when he fired his ass rightfully. So, because if you look at like what the Bannonites are as this weird repackaging of a lot of the old school neoconservative dogmas, yeah. you know, pushed by people like Samuel P. Huntington in the Clash of Civilizations, which, I mean, a lot of the Trump supporters, they rejected that. They got disgusted by that whole neocon takeover of the Republican, uh, the right. Um, and so that's why they voted for Trump to begin with. But then the the axiomatics of the idea of a Clash of Civilizations, the idea that there was this intrinsic destiny by the United States as the manifest de destiny nation to go to war with Islam and, and, and China 
um, that were the intrinsic like spiritual enemies. This is what yeah. Bannon sort of was designed to yeah. recapture while still while still talking about international bankers conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I, he, inter, international bankers. He, he's with a uh, uh, he's partnered with an with a convict, an escaped yeah. convict named Miles Gao. Yeah, exactly. Who's wanted exactly. on several fraud charges? Who's an yeah. international criminal at this point? Whom yeah. the U.S. government protects? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's insanity. And you got mm-hmm. the Falun Gong alongside with them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Epoch Times, all of that. It's it's yeah. all part of the same operation. Um, so there's a lot of influence, and I think that this this has done a lot of damage to the more truth seeking impulses within the U.S. that wants to save their nation, which is. I mean, it's 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 on the precipice right now. But a lot of the better Americans who want to save their nation, uh, so many have gotten contaminated by this operation, um, and are just totally confused about their history, about the the nature of this strat, the strategic global great game. Who are the players? And so when you when I hear Steve Bannon talking about, um, yeah, shock troops to deconstruct the state, that obviously is provocative and is designed to create these polarizations where you know liberals who are already uh, moving towards a rainbow fascism sort of, you know, uh, great reset orientation, they're just more Im- impelled to say, okay, let's support these anti-domestic terror bills. Let's let's crack down on these white supremacists, you know, and let's su- give all of the support we possibly can to the state's ability to just shut down um to basically declare war on the American people who are conspiracy, and that becomes now a sign that you're talking to a, a domestic terrorist. Is do you believe in conspiracy theories? Uh, do you doubt that the uh, the elections were legitimately won by Biden? Oh, that you don't. You do doubt that. Well, that makes you probably, a, a, you know, a domestic terrorist. So you got you've got this this terrible recipe. Um, and I think for me, when I when I look at why the U.S. is in this position, um, I just wrote a, a two part article. Um, which is going to be going up on strategic culture this week on the uh, how capitalism became a time bomb. Yeah, and it, I, I get at the point. You know, if you look, listen to Antony or uh, Antonio Guterres uh, from the, the head of the United Nations um, or Klaus Schwab, they they basically merged the U, the UN with the World Economic Forum. Uh, they had a, a merger in two, the year two thousand, and that was a few weeks before they announced the Great Reset in June two thousand and twenty. I said 2000, but I meant 2020. Um, both of them have been ca- have been saying that capitalism is immoral. It doesn't place proper values where they should be placed. It forces people to worship money. And that's why we're in this crisis. And that's why we need to reset the system and introduce a new system of comprehensive new values. And it's like, there's an element of truth in that. Like we have been worshiping money and not valuing the sacredness of human life for decades. That's true. And that really was unleashed in the early 70s when, you know, a big paradigm shift was unleashed when we took the dollar off of the fixed exchange rate system and the gold reserve, and it became just tied to the random fluctuations of the global markets. Tim, yeah, go for it. I'd just like to jump in and say that uh, the uh, value system that they're offering is different, yet equally so, if not more repulsive morally. Amen to that. That's the important fact. Yeah. That's the thing. No, absolutely. That's that's valuable because, yeah, they, they are saying that we need something that's not money, but then what is it? What is their value system? And for that, you could just look at some things like the, uh, you know, the the green, what is it called? The uh, the Carbon Disclosure Project and the Green Central Bankers Climate Compacts that are run by Mark Carney, which are all about saying, okay, we need to greenify the world economy to decarbonize nations of the world. 
And we have to thus create this new system where monetary financial incentives and values are placed on the rates at which we can take activities that shut down the carbon footprints. That's just a, a, another way of saying shut down the means of supporting life. They won't say it the way I just said it, though, because yeah. people would be would find it repulsive and satanic. But to say, oh, to save the environment and to decarbonize because all of a sudden carbon dioxide is a pollution and thus an evil. I don't know when the fuck that happened, but that's all of a sudden the the, the big demon we have to shut down and put financial values on these things through, you know, carbon swaps and cap and trades and and all sorts of uh, financial activities like that. And also putting unpayable premiums on uh, the insurance for companies that do dirty work. So for me, when I'm looking at the United States, the, 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 some of the only points of salvation I see are that there is some remnant of productive enterprise, including here in Canada too. Um, like I mentioned SNC-Lavalin, there are still some remnants of um, capabilities to build things that could be of use for big projects, which currently they're not being built anywhere in the West that have any any value for humanity. They're, they're primarily in Eurasia and Africa increasingly as China is investing in big things that could definitely employ a lot of companies and that could pull our interests into some greater alignment with that process. But politically, I don't see much good on the federal level inside of the United States currently uh, to make it happen. It's really in the private sector that I see some impulses to not be sacrificed on the altar of Gaia. And on the state level, I do see some legitimate impulses to fight against some of the oncoming tyranny. But uh, there's got to be more. There, yeah. yeah. Uh, well one uh, sort of hopeful note uh, that you yeah. might enjoy is that within Russia, when it comes to issues of uh, climate change, uh, the future of uh, energy and population, uh, Russian scientists generally disagree. And everything looks pretty much, uh, it's a, everything's going to come up rainbows. So actually, if uh, the Russian sort of uh, scientific uh, view of what's going to happen in the next 100 or 200 years uh, becomes mainstream, um, that'll be a real blow to um, this type of thinking. Because in Russia, there is no indicator that there'll be any energy crisis, population's going okay, everything's everything's working out yeah. on Russian data. Good. So there you go. Good. Look, well, before I close out, uh, Tim mentioned earlier that uh, when he was 16, he uh, saved enough money, went over to Poland and uh, experienced the nightclubs there. We actually have video clips from Tim when what? he was young. CJ, won't you play that for me? Good. There, there's Tim right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tim up in Poland as a young child. Right. <laughs> there he is. He is already cavorting with the ladies. Yeah. There he is. Not bothered. The, the quality that is a very Eastern European look, uh, kind of. So, <laughs> wow, look at look at that sweater. That's a big, I just also sent you a link there if you can click on it. Uh, that link that I sent to the general chat. Uh, that's a game that has me. I'm in there in the fourth quarter. But uh, if anyone's interested in American football, watching alternative league that's kind of hard to understand, um, uh, you can uh, watch one of our matches. You have to skip ahead because. Gosh darn it, they don't really do a good job of editing these videos. But at some point, someone's going to be playing American football. So so there you go. I'm the gold team, as you can see. So oh, uh, that's, yeah. that's, what Amer that's what the pros look like in uh, Russia. A little bit of a downgrade, but uh, yeah. What, what what position are you playing? Uh, I'll be tight end. I come in the fourth quarter. So Nice. Yeah. Right. There we go. That was good. That was the other team. Good run. The, um, the Knights of um, 
Podolsk. Podolsk. Uh, okay, this is the fourth quarter. Here we are. There we are. Oh boy, are we on offense? Nineteen. Uh, I think we're gonna think. It was, let's see, 8, 65, 68. Well, is there an eighty-two? Hold on. I think I see me. Hold on. I got. Yeah, I, there I am. The bright green shoes to the left. Bright neon yellow green shoes. Right there. Right there. Eighty-two. There we go. Let's see, do I do anything? I don't think I do. I think I got one throw for the end zone, and I didn't do shit. I didn't even throw behind me. So let's see. Is it a block? Where is it? Offsides. <laughs> there we go. That was that was desperate. Hold on. We'll get to something. At least one play with me. Come on. All right. Uh, going back to the huddle. I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that that guy tried to do the, the buck the line. Um what was the Pittsburgh player? What was that guy's name? Uh, Paulo Malo. I think he would do that on occasion. Oh, yeah. Right? Paul, uh, yeah. yeah. Try, to, try to time it out perfectly. I think yeah. even – Troy Paulo Malo. Yep. Wait, are you one of the gray, the gray team or the, the blue team? The, 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 to the left, the golden okay. black. Right. Number 82 on golden black. I am off camera, so we are strong side right on this play. We have a goofy formation where the tight end is weak side. So, all right, let's do it. We have a lot of motion. Oh, come on. You, these guys, you guys are killing me here. Come on. Let's do it. Snap the ball. There we go. Uh, did I do it? In Russia, they count, they count down from a 20 hut. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was a long count. But anyways, I wasn't really <laughs> involved in that one too much. But uh, anyways, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. Uh, maybe some people might enjoy watching the league. It's a little slow because you don't have the – Fox News crew editing things, but uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there'll be a lot more of me next season. So, like I said, we're down to four tight ends, so I'm a lot more needed this year. <laughs> awesome. And for those that missed the morning show, it's right there. Go to rugnews.com. The China Taiwan heats up. We break it all down over there. Guys, Tim, Matt, loved having you guys on. This was so much freaking fun. Uh, Tim, we got to do this again, bro. Sure. My, my, my pleasure. Dude, we got to get you on and and, and strategic, strategic pull up uh, Tim's channel so people can go there and subscribe right now. Yeah, strategic culture. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, this one, Tim Kirby Russia, definitely subscribe. And the other one, if you want to watch some tours of videos. In fact, those if you look at click on any one of those videos, like that the the Chuya Highway there, the second video to the left, Chuya or this one, right? Ooh, hey man, I got some clients here, of mine that are. I got to talk to you about the whole Russia thing because I, I I have clients of mine yeah. that are interested so in. So yeah, as you can see, movie. like with the tourism thing, this is some pretty high quality stuff. The political videos I do are shot by me, so they're they are what they are. But oh, the, yeah, this is really good amazing. production value. But yeah, but that's what uh, Siberia looks like. So that's oh, beautiful. Yeah, I was looking at Krasnodar, man. It looks great over there too. Yeah. Krasnodar, so. the uh, what is that? They call it the, the 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 south of France for Russia or the Florida of Russia. Oh, uh, where at? Krasnodar? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really, really warm down there. For Yeah, I've been looking reason. at something yeah. like that. I got clients, man. I'll talk to you about the whole Russia thing. I got clients that are looking to uh, get the hell well, out of the U.S. Well, to be honest, I got a kind of big, uh, maybe next time, let's talk about, I got a big uh, project for immigrating people from the West to Russia that we uh, need to talk, my friend. So. We need to talk. All right. All right. With that being said, folks, we're over now. CJ, take it away.